0: Thank you, Overstreets, and I have this suspicion that no matter what I say now, I can't top Audie because she just stole the show. Um, Thank you so much. Great job. And as we get into week 16, this is the last week of We Are the Outsiders sermon series. We've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Mark and understanding what Jesus is, because we're all outsiders. None of us have some sort of secret inside route towards salvation because Jesus preaches the gospel and gives us all this good gift of the gospel to all of us. And we're going to go through that here. Now, before we get into We Are the Outsiders, yes, you have to listen to me both sing and preach. It's just one of those circumstances of illness that hit our worship team and i'm just grateful for an amazing worship team i just want to give them just another round of applause this afternoon for their awesome work that was like a um like a bogey putt for somebody to lose like an unknown golf tournament okay it was like yeah yeah great job worship team i don't really care if i there it is worship team And now we have all sorts of people joining with us online. Welcome to our service, and we're so glad you're here. Unfortunately, our online folk do not get the confusion of coming to church and seeing fortune cookies on your seat, okay? If you're like me, you would wait until I have permission to eat them. So if you're like me, you have permission to eat these during the sermon. They have individualized E3 sermon uh, or E3 messages inside, E3 messages inside. So open them up, have a little snack before this guy talks for 25 minutes, and we're going to understand what these this all relates to is the next sermon series that I want you to turn your attention to the screens as you open up those cookies, and it will show you where we're going for the next sermon series. The next series, we're gonna go and dive into what many people will say is wisdom in a fortune cookie. For example, you have love coming soon, or there's a red sports car in your future, and really compare that to what the Bible says, because biblical wisdom, you may be shocked by this, biblical wisdom is often different than cultural wisdom. Culture says to share and build storehouses. Biblical wisdom says to, hey, it's all God's. That's just one example of a lot of different topics we're going through, a lot of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. I'm excited for Pastor Mike, for our teaching team to take a greater role in that, and so thrilled to jump into this next sermon series starting on January 9th. January 2nd, Pastor Mike will be giving a vision sermon, and we welcome you back for that. But as Pastor Lori said, don't come on Sunday. Don't come on Sunday. We'll be back and rolling better than ever on January 2nd. Now, As we get into Mark 16, I want to play a little game, and this is specifically for the kiddos out there. Kiddos, I'm going to share two items, two items. The first one, if you like it, you're going to raise your left hand, okay? The second one, if you like it, you're going to raise the right hand. And if you like both, just raise both. And if you don't like games, don't raise your hands, okay? Don't raise your hands. Or just keep, if you don't like either of them, just keep your hands down, okay? So let's give an example here, okay? Husker football, raise your hand. There's one. Great. Okay, that's me. All right, so I'm from Nebraska, but let's try this. Florida State football. There's the right hands coming up. And now I'm waiting for Pastor Mike to yell Florida Gators. Okay, there we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. We don't need to turn it into a a brawl. There he is, there he is, on cue, on cue. Now, for real now, Brussels sprouts, left hand. Ooh, you're my people, you're my folk. Dark chocolate. And some who like both, really. Really? That's that's, that's shocking. French fries, left hand. Tater tots. Ooh, I got some both. Okay, some of you don't like French fries. We will have pastoral counseling available after the service for you. (laughs) Cheerios, normal Cheerios. Normal Rice Krispies. Ooh, we got some breakfast folk in here. Last service was like, bagels, I don't know. Fish. Chicken. Got some got some meat lovers. Got some who do not like the meat, that's okay. Or just don't like games. Fish or pork? pork. Steak or steak. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's my people. Amusement parks. Left hand. Water rides. Yep, okay. We got we got we got both on those. Action. Shows or movies. Comedies. Okay, okay, okay. Balding. There's, there's my folk. There's my folk. Or acne. Yeah, yeah, acne is no fun, okay? How about this, Christmas or Easter? Ooh, okay. Now, the last one is on purpose, because believe it or not, Christmas for our culture, Christmas is more palatable. Our culture loves the idea of buying stuff, imagine that, and giving gifts, I mean, we, we love that idea, whereas Easter is a little awkward because we talk about a gruesome death and a resurrection of a body that our culture really doesn't quite understand. And so, as we tend to do here in America, we put on a bunny who lays eggs, because that makes sense. We cannot play left hand, right hand with these holidays, though, because, believe it or not, we must have Christmas to have Easter, Jesus has to be born in order to become a man. But believe it or not, we have to have Easter. Otherwise, Christmas just gets lost in the pages of history. Easter is the one event that in the entire Bible that our entire faith must be built upon and cannot be disproven. Otherwise, the rest of the castle crumbles. Christmas makes us encounter God becoming a man, a virgin conceiving, and a whole community being shocked at the Savior coming in the world, yes. But Easter, Easter, friends, changes our salvation economy and makes us wonder makes us contemplate what do i do with my sin with my eternity easter has us encounter friends death itself and we see that this encounter changes the idea of being an outsider to this faith and brings us all on the inside Now, I'm not confused about my holidays. We'll be preaching on Easter here this afternoon versus the Christmas story that we had an awesome reader for. But in all honesty, we see that in this outsider mentality, we can see the connection between Christmas and Easter so prevalent as we jump into the text. So with that in mind, we're going to open up to Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 1. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene Mary, the mother of James and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? Now the stones are tonnage. And they were meant to block the entrance to the cave so that wild animals, thieves, and then the stench of decay of death wouldn't come in or out of that cave. The people in Jesus' time took great care for the dead, just as we do in our day and age as well. It's something unique about humanity that we care for our dead sometimes more so than we care sometimes even for the living. Now, what's interesting is that they put Jesus in this tomb knowing that he has been dead for a full 24 hours. It's been a whole Saturday. And they come to anoint that body to make sure it would decay gracefully over time and not just succumb to the horrible uh, climate of the Middle East. But look what happens. Next verses. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. We don't know who this strange man is. We don't know if it was him or several other angels who came and did it, but we see the response, alarm. And that's an indicator because in Scripture, when you see alarm, when you see worry, it's usually because the person's encountering the heavenly. And so while it doesn't say in the text, we assume this is angels. And the other gospels would attest to this. That it's angels who have come now to be the heralds of the good news. That Jesus is resurrected. That's just what he says. Verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Interestingly enough, when you look at the historical progression of the book of Mark, the earliest manuscripts end right here. Now, there's many theories. Maybe they had the last page dropped or... You know, in in transit, somehow it got ruined. Pages tend to get beaten up and battered over time, especially in the ancient times. There's some who would believe that Mark's purpose is not to share what happened to Jesus after the resurrection. No, he's meant to show what happened before that crucifixion. And so he gets to this point, has run out of ink or just time, because time and ink were a huge, huge privilege back in that day and age. And so he just says, that sounds good enough. They're scared and they run away. Whatever the reason, we see the main point. He is risen. This Jesus, from birth to death to resurrection, reforms and remakes all of our tidy ideas of what life is about and what life is. To entertain the thought that we are infinite beings that have been robbed of our true identity remakes how we live our entire life. Noel. Noel. God with us, remakes, reforms, all I believe and know. What we have in birth, both the birth of the Messiah and the resurrection of the Messiah is this idea of transformation. Birth, for those who have been a part of it, is a transforming process. Parents, amen? Yeah, I got some, some amen. <laughs> the birth process is transformative, not just for you, but for another being as well. What Jesus shows in his resurrection is a new type of birth, something that we can't even fathom in our worldly bodies. That somehow after I die, I get remade and I'll live for eternity? In a perfect body that won't decay? In a mind that won't be so forgetful or completely forgetful? In a heart whose emotions will be pure and without sin? It's mind blowing. It's truly transformative. In John's Gospel in chapter 3, verse 16, you know the famous verse For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is talking to this man named Nicodemus. And, and in the back and forth of this discussion, Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus foolishly believes, so I have to go back to my mom and you know, crawl back in? It sounds ridiculous, right? Nicodemus' mom's like, oh no. <laughs> but in all honesty, this is the transformation that we have to remake our brains to believe, that we can live for eternity. What we have to understand is that transformation requires sacrifice. What Christmas transforms is it gives us the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love represented by these candles that this newness of life is truly possible. Jesus, who fulfills so many Old Testament prophecies, yet is still unrecognizable to his contemporaries, redoes the formula of how to find everlasting life. What we see in both Christmas and Easter is the idea of transformation. And I'm not talking about transformation like one of my favorite toys as a child, talking about Christmas. Yes. Kids, who wants a transformer for Christmas? Just raise your hand. There's one. Oh, we got some we got some adults actually want Transformers. Yeah, I love Transformers. I had this one that you could like transform into like 16 different things. And I was so confused, I just, you know, I just kind of like, I don't know, made it into something new. But in Transformer world, the toys is still the same substance. What we're finding here is it's like taking a transformer and turning it into an apple tree that actually makes live apples, right? It's like taking a Volkswagen and turning it into Arnold Schwarzenegger. It might be the same thing. Not a good example. No, in all seriousness, this is the, the unbelievable truth is that we are transformed based on both the incarnation, Jesus coming down into a baby, God becoming man, and Jesus resurrecting from the dead. We see a whole new facet Whole new vantage point of life. What's also unique is we look at the witnesses of these first events. Who are the witnesses to this Christmas miracle? They're nobodies. There's no Herod. There's no Emperor of Rome. There's no rich, highly educated people. We see nobodies who get their place, their name in the ink of the Bible. People like Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, and specifically the shepherds, they're the first ones to see the Christ child, to see the angel, heavenly host, singing glory to God in the highest. And they're the ones? Similarly, as resurrection, we see unknown women. Not that they didn't have names, they're just commoners. They're outsiders in that day and age of life. We see the 11 disciples who we've talked about in earlier sermons who are 11 stooges. I mean, they're whoop, 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 whoop. I mean, they're they're ridiculous. And Jesus chooses them? And we see 500 commoners that Jesus appears to in his post-resurrection body. Jesus chooses people, and God chooses people, like the 11th child, the murderer, the prostitute, the widow, the inept king, the illegitimate the uneducated and the very young, all the way to the very old, to bring about his kingdom. Can you imagine switching hands on one of the things I had to do when I said, Hey, raise your hand if you like this or that? Like, what if some, those who hate Brussels sprouts, what if all of a sudden I made you love Brussels sprouts? Can you imagine that transformation? I soak them in bacon for two days. Then can I get a hand raised for that? Yeah. Anything soaked in bacon, raise your hand, yeah. What we understand is that transformation brings a sense of wonder, terror, amazement, and awe. Awe at God redoing life itself. But to all, Jesus gives an opportunity for transformation in their life. Friends, transformation leads you to a place of unknown, born sometimes out of crisis, and leaves the old unrecognizable. To come into this world as a baby and to be resurrected from the dead, we need a God who does the impossible and to celebrate the impossible, through holidays like Easter and Christmas. Friends, we need a resurrected infant, Noel. We need to see this infant not just as a tidy thing to have a holiday for, but see that this baby goes on and has a life that is totally directed towards you because Jesus hopes in you Jesus wants peace for you. Jesus wants joy for you. And friends, Jesus loves you. What we see through this Christmas story is that Jesus's incarnation and his resurrection transforms all of us.
1: There before
0: This Christmas, where is God? A far-off deity, a cosmic order who should deliver a perfect mate due to something called destiny, a ruthless tyrant who only undoes what you want, a mindless rule keeper who oddly makes rules that make you comfortable. I've said this in several sermons during this series, but the two challenges that the current church and specifically element three church will have to deal with in 2022 and beyond for sure is this thing called the pandemic which maybe you've heard of it's kind of a new thing around i've heard you have to make jokes about it because this is so uncomfortable now folks okay but seriously the new challenge that the modern day church faces is that people just want to hear what they already believe that's not new but more than ever Our culture is cursed by this because it becomes circular thought that if a person of authority says exactly what I want to believe, I'll just keep following them and never be challenged to transform. What we have is an infant who chooses the lowliest of persons and grown up to be and does the unthinkable of being resurrected. Jesus is all about transformation. What we see in both Christmas and Easter is a God who desperately wants to reach to you and see both you transformed because God, God's self, was transformed. Where are you in relationship to this Christ's child, this resurrected infant? Are you willing to see the type of transformation that only He can bring? Friends, it's just this simple that Jesus came as an infant on this night so many years ago. He was taught and followed by thousands, but eventually was despised and rejected by his own people, by the people who were supposed to be the insiders. And while he preached good news and of God's kingdom in ways that was so marvelous they couldn't understand, the people and the authorities of that day and age took him condemned him, and put him to death on a cross. And for three days, he died. But on that third day, he was resurrected, and he sits now at the right hand of God the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. That is, friends, what we call the gospel. That's what Mark has been trying to teach us over 16 weeks. And for some of you sitting here tonight, this is the first time you've heard it, you say, Whoa! This is why we have Christmas. This is why we have Easter. This is the person who I I need to reorient my whole life around. And for some of you, you're sitting near, I've heard this 100,000 times, Pastor. But friends, if you hear it 100,001, there's no problem with that. And in fact, to see the Spirit warm your heart And for you to be challenged to go share this good news of your salvation, of your transformation, to see others transformed, there is nothing like it in this world. I get asked all the time, what's the best benefit for being a pastor? And I say, I only work on Sundays. That's a joke. That's a joke. The greatest benefit of my work is that continually I see people transformed, not in the moment, but over their lifetime. And that's what being a Christian is all about. So friends, raise your hands if you want to follow Jesus Christ here tonight. It is my prayer you'll see joy through this process because that's what we talked about two weeks ago on the Joy Candle. That joy is not a feeling. It is seeing Christ work through generations upon generations from your grandchildren fathers, your grandmothers, down to your grandchildren. You can see the work of the Holy Spirit and God working, and that's joy. It's joy to see God working and uniting all of our testimonies because we get to spend eternity together. That's a great thing. And that's my joy that I want to leave you here tonight. This joy of Jesus Christ, our joy to the world.